0: This is Joey Brannan. Welcome to the Axiom Podcast, where today we'll be talking about step one of four steps in building a great culture. Welcome back to the Axiom Podcast. I'm Joey Brandon. I'll be hosting this episode solo. Uh, given the rest of the colleagues' day off, want to give a great big shout-out to Mr. Cameron Earhart. He is one of the members of our team, who today, as I as I record this, is holding his brand-new baby boy, Britain. So congratulations to Cameron and Chaley. We are super excited for you guys uh, great, happy, happy day here at Axiom. We couldn't be more thrilled uh, to welcome Britain into the family. So congrats. Congrats, Chamberlain. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you and seeing Britain and pictures and all that good stuff. Today, we're going to be talking about values and values as step one in building a great culture. Um, You may not know this, but for the last probably six to nine months, I've been outlining a book that is called, is called uh, Building a Values-Based Culture, and you know, that's the subtitle. You have to figure out what the main title is going to be, but when we talk about building culture, it is like this ethereal thing. Everybody's got their own idea what culture means, and it's kind of like it's one of those things where you kind of know it, know a good culture when you see it, and you definitely know a bad culture when you see it or experience it. But in in most situations that we run into, the reason that a culture hasn't been intentionally built is because nobody knows how to build it. Like, how do you do it? And we, I love reading books. I love strategy. I love conceptual stuff. I love metaphysical stuff. But uh, I'm one of those people who is way qu- too quick to jump into tactics. While I like the big strategic stuff, I'm always trying to solve the problem. And that causes me <laughs> quite a bit of issues in my marriage because I'm always trying to solve problems, solve problems, solve problem instead of build relationship or instead of understand what the bigger context is. But in the area of culture, I think that solving the problem, I think that the tactical side of culture is the thing that's missing. Uh, I don't think that the ethereal, I don't think that the theory of culture is understood very well. And I think the thing that's understood even less well is how do you go about building a culture? It's not just about ping pong tables and bean bags in the break room. It's got to be about something more than that. And the most tangible thing that I've seen that can affect a culture is a business leader who's willing to articulate and define a small number of non-negotiable, uniquely defined values. And so this is, and, and when I say the thing that I've seen work for, Axiom was started in 2005, that's 2021, so we're in our 16th year. I was doing work with business owners before that, so I would say to date myself for almost... 28, 29, 30 years now, I have been working inside or alongside, uh, inside businesses or alongside business owners at a, at a very close level, meaning like close to the top leadership or in the top leadership or working right alongside a CEO. And a lot of the stuff, you know, I read stuff in books and I want to, I want to do it. I want to practice it. I want to see I want to see this stuff come to fruition in the business or the environment that I'm in, whether that's me or whether that's a client that I'm working with. And so in the last, like I said, 27, 28, 29 years, I've thrown a lot of things up against the wall to see what would stick. And everybody wants a great culture, but one, a lot, not a lot of people are throwing stuff up against the wall. And two, not a lot of them are doing it with enough regularity to see what works and what doesn't. And what I mean by that is, for me, it's fairly easy to be working with a dozen different clients and see what works with some clients and what doesn't work with some clients and see as we change and tweak things what starts to work and what just continues to fail to get traction. And the stuff that we're going to talk about today in terms of values, I'm going to talk to you about the things that you can actually do. It's not just conceptual. It's the things that we've done inside businesses that we do inside our own business. And it works. I think it does add to... Uh, a better understanding of how do you go about creating a great culture? So number one, the number one thing, and we're only going to be talking about practical stuff today. The number one thing is that you have to come up with that very small number of non-negotiable uniquely defined values. When we do this with clients, we challenge them to come up with the words that they they want to hear when employees describe their business. Come up with the words that you want your customers to use to describe your business. Come up with the words that you want close family members to use to describe your business. Come up with the words that you want the community at large and and other business leaders or community leaders in the area to use to describe your business. What are those words? And once we get the words on the page, we start to try to deconstruct those words and understand, are there some common themes that are underlying those words? And then we identify the themes. So the theme, the theme could be, um, wow, well, it sounds like you really care about the people that you work with, and you believe that you're you're primarily about serving them. And yeah, so that, so that might show up in a lot of ways. That might show up in words like care. It might show up in words like love. It might show up in words like service. It might show up in words like put others first, or concepts like put others first and we'll talk to a business owner and we can identify okay what is that theme of caring for others of serving them of putting them first and from the from the theme once we get down to three or four maybe five themes we can say okay what's the what's a very what's a concise verb or noun or maybe phrase, but usually we try to keep it to one word of value. You keep a value to one word. What is that word that best describes this theme? And then how do we very succinctly articulate that the definition, our definition of that word so that it's memorable. So the def, the, the example I just gave you, wow, it sounds like you really want to care for the people, uh, that you're you're care for the customers you're working with care for the employees you're working with. It sounds like that you really like this idea of putting others in front of yourself, like this idea of service. How about care as a value? And when we look to define that, this most succinct definition we can think of, or that, that resonates with you is we love those we serve. Right? So that's axioms I'm, I'm cheating like that's our value. that's I always use us as an example because this is the ones I remember the, the easiest. But that's the idea. What are the themes right So if you can uh, if you can catalog the list of words that you want people to use to describe you and then you can start to group those words into some common themes and you say like How did, what, what exactly does that theme mean to me? then you can hone in on just three or four words that are going to be your values. And then you need very, very succinct definitions of those words. So I'll tell you the two main areas where we see people kind of misstep here, where it creates some challenges later and things that we would caution them against. Number one is having more than four values. It becomes super difficult to have more than four. Uh, You're asking people to remember a lot. You're asking them to put a lot of things first. So values are the thing that we, as we'll talk about, we go back to over and over and over again in the business. And if we're asking you to put eight things first, that's really tough. It's, It's almost impossible for somebody to put priority to eight different things. And the second thing is you'll find that either in the definitions, they either have these really wordy definitions that nobody can articulate the same every time so it leaves itself open to a lot of interpretation as it's recollected or you'll find that within the definition they go on to articulate four more values right and so uh, we have a client that we we' like working with a lot but this is one of the things that they're guilty of is putting four values on the wall and then each one of those four values has another four values underneath it so now we have 16 values. And the, the danger there is that there really isn't one definition for the value. There's four definitions for that value. And you get to pick out which definition you want to apply to a certain situation, which means there's a lot of subjectivity in applying the value. So I, I firmly believe that the best cultures have a very small number of values, three, four values. Those values have very succinct definitions that are easy to remember. So... Use axiom as an example because it's the one I know the best. Care means we love those we serve. That's value number one. Truth means we speak the truth, even when it's hard to say and hard to hear. That's number two. Diligence, we bring the right amount of work to the task. That's number three. Learning, we're humble and seek to understand more each day. Those are our four values. And so those definitions, while it can take some practice to memorize them, memorizing them is not beyond the reach of anybody. And to have just four care, truth, diligence, learning, it's very easy to highlight those. So, when you're working at established values, hardest thing is going to be getting it down. Devin, I you, know, you guys heard her on this podcast a lot. He usually joins me, or he and Cameron do these podcasts together as well. Uh, he's famous of the or he he's he's famous. Devin's famous. Devin likes to quote. Uh, the Mark Twain quote, which is, uh, "I would have written you a shorter letter if I'd only had the time," and, and that's the idea. Is like sometimes it does. It takes a lot more time to get. It takes a lot more work and a lot more effort to distill it down to what are the three or four values that we're really going to focus in on, and what is the definition that is super succinct. We can all write paragraphs. We can all write pages. Very few of us are willing to sit down and do the work to get the sentence that is going to make our value really pop and become our value. And over time, I'm sure you've heard me hear the, you've heard me say this before because I talk about it a lot. over time, those defi- those words, the care, truth, diligence learning, axioms for values, those words just become proxies for the definitions. They are shortcuts because the definitions are really what identify the value. And what give it life and what give it clarity in the minds of of the people who work here. But the shorthand is the value itself. So when I say care, everybody knows, oh, he's talking about loving those we serve. He's talking about, one, we have to genuinely care. We have to love the people that we are working with. And two, we serve them. Love those we serve. Not love those who give us checks. Not love those who... Pay our bills, not love those who send us clients. No, love those we serve. And so, if we're not serving them, we're also falling down on the definition of care. The second thing, uh, the the second most important thing, so you have to understand what the concept of values is. But the next thing is they have to be championed by a leader, rather than created by a committee. And what I mean by that, I think it's fairly clear. But I would much rather work with a business owner who says, hey, I've got this great leadership team. They are very capable. We're all on the same page culturally. We all enjoy working together. It seems like we're all after the same thing. But I'm going to take some time. I'm going to go away. Maybe I'd like you guys to help me. Run me through some of your exercise and your activities. But I want to do a better job of defining the values that are going to drive this culture. I, singular, not we, plural. And the reason for that is because there is one leader of an organization. Even if there are multiple owners, there is one leader. And one of the most difficult things is 50-50 or close to 50-50 partnerships where one of the owners has not seeded leadership, like operating leadership, to the other partner. And so you have this two headed monster. I've seen it work well in exactly one scenario. I'm sure there are others out there, but I have witnessed hundreds of businesses with partners that are 50, 50 or close. I'll say hundreds over a hundred, probably approaching 200. And I've only seen it work well in one instance, and those guys are dear friends of mine. We've actually had them on the podcast. You can go listen to them. It's, um, it's, a, it's a great episode on 50-50 partnerships. But most of the time, you need one leader in charge of the organization. And that leader is the one who sets the tone for the culture, if that leader is, is not vested in us having a great culture, we won't have a great culture. We may have pockets of culture where those people who don't have to interact with the leader can kind of segregate themselves and isolate themselves and try to develop a culture within a culture, and that happens in some large companies, but most of, the, most of you that I'm talking about are working in smaller businesses of maybe max 150, 200, 250 employees, It's hard to create pockets of culture inside even a 150- or 200-person company that are not influenced by a leader who isn't bought into the culture. So so we have to have one leader, and that leader, I'm going to make the case that that leader needs to define the values. Because when push comes to shove, there has to be somebody who has the ultimate responsibility, ultimate authority, who says these leaders are, or these values are non-negotiable. And if you have a general manager or a chief operating officer or a CFO or a sales manager, who is the person who's like, we really need to have values. We need to get the team together and we need to identify these values. And the owner's like, yeah, I don't see any harm in that. I, don't th- I think that's okay. And so the sales manager gets everybody together. They define the values kind of by committee and maybe a couple of them maybe all of them maybe four or five people everybody on the leadership team besides the owner is all in and they're excited about this and the owner's like yeah this was good it's good that we did this i think this i think this is this was not a wasted afternoon glad you guys recommended this this is a good idea but everybody kind of knows that the owner's not all in and especially like the next week or a month later when the team gets together and they're like, hey, uh, our top salesperson, we have this value of honesty. And we define honesty as giving the customer all the information. Or, you know, I'm making this up as I go along. But let's say that's our definition of honesty. I don't think it's a very good definition because it just talks about the customer. But let's say, it's, let's say we say honesty, giving the other person all the information we can. That's our value. So that, that's a great value because it applies internally, it applies externally. It's like giving the other person, the other person, whether that's a colleague, whether that's a customer, whether that's a vendor, whether that's a supplier, give them all the information that we have. And that's our definition of honesty. And so in this meeting a few few weeks later, they say, hey, we've got this salesperson and uh, we're finding out that he's not telling customers about the warranty limitations. He's not telling customers about the credit application policy. He's just out there saying, Oh yeah, we can finance this or oh yeah, we can we can do this or that. And he's shortcutting warranty fulfillment. He's shortcutting all these things because he's just not giving them the information because he's worried that it's gonna work against him in the sale. And that goes against our value of honesty. And the owner goes, Yeah, but I'll talk to him. It's not gonna be a problem. I'll make I'll talk to him about it. Right? And it keeps happening. And they bring it up again. The owner says, so, you got to understand, I mean, he brings in 18% of our revenue. We're not going to just let him go. So you guys figure out, figure out what we got to do, but, you know, firing him is not an option. And at that point, everybody knows the values don't mean squat. We might as well not even have values. Honesty might, not even, might as well not be on the board. They have to be championed by a leader, I think that's super important. And I also think that it's important that they're not created by committee. And I've done this before, I just did it recently. And I got to tell you, the values that come out of it are not as powerful, they're not as succinct, they're not as impactful, they're not as pointed as the ones that are generated by a person who's saying, I'm responsible for leading this organization. I'm responsible for creating the culture. We've got this void where we don't have values, and I'm going to fill that void because that's my responsibility as the leader. In those situations, what we come out with is a very clear, very concise, unequivocal set of values that are really, really practically useful in the organization versus having them legislated by a committee where you get a little bit of one person's point of view and a little bit of another person's point of view and a lot of a f- another person's point of view, and it feels like it's been diluted. It feels just a little mealy-mouthed. It doesn't feel as powerful. So many of you may disagree with me on that. Uh, there are some clients that who may be listening to this who's like, hey, but we did it by committee and our values are great. I hope that they're serving you as well as some of the other clients we've done it with who just had a single person go through the single leader who's responsible for good. But I don't see it in practice. I think there's a reason that most of the times we have gone through a process where the client insisted that the values be legislated by committee. We're not working with those clients on a long-term basis because – there's a lot of things that just have to be led. They can't be legislated by committee. All about teamwork, all about shared responsibility. That's what we build our business on, coming alongside owners who are getting pulled in a 100 different directions and helping them build a plan and follow it to grow the business and give them freedom by by raising up other leaders who can shoulder the load and they can step out of the business. Business is independent. That's that's what we're all about. But when it comes to culture, if you don't have a leader who's willing to plant a flag in the ground and say, I am going to build this culture. It rests on my shoulders. I'm going to be the guardian and the protector of it, and I want it to be as clear as possible. It's probably not going to happen. So be, be very, very weary of gathering a team in a room and saying, we're going to work on our values. I don't think that's a good idea. Next, uh, the values need to be visible. Even after they've been memorized, let's say you come up with a really clear, succinct set of values, and you're like, oh, these are easy, easy. That we've got this great little what do they call it? Not an acronym, but a okay, the word's escaping me now, but you know, where, where each letter, the first letter of, of each one of the values spells a bigger word like team or care or serve or whatever. Those are acrostics. That's what I was looking for. We got this great acrostic. Nobody could forget our values. Our definitions are super succinct and short. Nobody could fail to memorize them. Why do we have to have this ten foot high uh, wall with all of our values all over it? Because your values have to be visible. You may know that your spouse loves you, right? You may know that you don't have to. You don't have to be. Nobody has to ask you. You don't have to memorize that fact, but. If I asked you to put a little post-it on the corner of your computer monitor or to put a post-it on your speedometer that says, my spouse loves me, my wife loves me, my husband loves me, and it's visible to you and you're going to see it a couple times a day, I guarantee you that your reciprocal feelings of love for your spouse are going to increase. You're going to send more text messages. You're going to make more phone calls. You're going to think about, you're going to do things for them because it's visible. We need to be reminded of things that are important to us. Even though they're important to us, we need to be reminded of them. And one of the best illustrations I have of this is Devin, uh, my, my colleague, who's been with me for about four years now, uh, he gave me a gift early on in, in our tenure together. And it was, it's this canvas, um, I'm looking at it right now, it's on my wall, it's, a, it's kind of a canvas print, and it has R4 values on it, there's four squares, very kind of neat tight, put together. It's four squares. It has our four values and our four definitions. I cannot stand at my desk, work at my computer without seeing our four values staring me right in the face. And I think about them a lot because they're right there in front of me. I can't ignore them. I also think that about them a lot because we talk about them a lot, but that pales in comparison to me seeing them. So I'm, I'm a huge believer in your values have to be visible. If you have a physical office space, find some place where you can put the values up, where people are going to walk by them every day, where they're going to be able to look up from their desk and see them. If you have a virtual setup, this is something that's on my to-do list as we speak because I was convicted of how important the visibility of values is. I've been preparing this podcast series for a few weeks now. We've been doing all these meetings with our clients, annual meetings. where we're like, what are the things that we can do to improve going forward in the next year? And making visible's value has become a very big priority for me. And so if you have remote employees, find a way, whether it's a print they can hang on a wall or or a picture that they can hang on the wall or a plaque that they can put on their desk, something that they can put in their workspace that has your values on it so they can be just as visible to them every day as if they're walking into a regular place to work. I really think that having values visible is important. Next, we do need to talk about them. One of the things that we have all of our clients do uh, one they have to commit to a regular meeting schedules. So every week they're having a, a standing operations meeting with the or we call it the leadership team meeting, where the leadership team is meeting to go through a, a set agenda agenda that we help put together. And but every one of those agendas. Uh, on a weekly basis, starts with a mission moment. And we, we we come in on a monthly basis and meet with them and meet with the broader leadership team. We start with a mission moment. When we do our quarterly half-day strategy sessions with the leadership team, we start with a mission moment. When we do our annual planning sessions, which we've been in the process of doing for the last few weeks and will for the next couple of weeks, we start with a mission moment. A mission moment is this. A mission moment is not where we read our mission statement. A mission moment is where we recall stories or incidences where we've seen our values come to life in the business over the last week. What employees did you see live out our values? What value was it that they lived out? And tell us the story behind that. And that's powerful for a few reasons. One, it starts the meeting off on on a positive note. It starts the meeting off saying, Hey, remember our values, the values that govern our behavior that are the ideal for how we want to act and treat each other as we work together? Here's one of those values. So as we move forward in our meeting and as we have some vigorous debate and as we have some difficult conversations, those same values, the same values that we're calling out during the mission moment – those are at play and they're governing the behavior in this meeting. So it just sets the tone for the meeting. That's important. That's good. But the bigger thing is that if we have six or seven people in the room on that leadership team and somebody outside that room is mentioned as being responsible for the mission moment, and usually there'll be a few. So there might be three or four mission moments that are brought up that day. Every single leader in that room is expected, is encouraged to go find that person at some point in the next 24 hours, 48 hours, and just say, hey, I, I don't know if you heard this or not from anybody else yet, but um, you, you were talked about at the beginning of our leadership team meeting. You were the mission moment. That thing that you did with this person over here that lived out this value of, of responsibility or professionals or whatever the value was, that's what we're all about, great job. It was just, I want to tell you, it was really encouraging for me to hear that story. I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing what you do. That little bit collectively among the six or seven leaders we're talking about, collectively, even if we count the amount of time it takes them to stand up from their desk and walk around the facility, find that person who is responsible for the mission moment and speak to them, collectively, it might take 20 minutes among the six or seven people that we're talking about that 20 minutes will do more to build the culture that you want in your organization than any pizza party or or challenge obstacle course or trip to top golf or whatever it's going to be do more for your culture than the beer keg on friday afternoons it's going to it, it will turbocharge the understanding of what your values are supposed to look like in real life. And it will cause people to stand up straighter, to put their chest out a little bit, to lift their head up and be proud of the place that they work in. And if that's not building a better culture, I don't know what is. So mission moments are hugely important to remind us to kind of internalize it. So we actually do memorize our values, but more important, they're, they serve a purpose in making sure that we're acknowledging people who are trying to do do the right thing, who are trying to live out our values, and we're letting them know it's not going unnoticed. You're making a difference. Keep doing it. The second place that, I'm going to say values conversations, submission moments are values conversations. The second place that values conversations need to happen is in tough conversations. When we find people are not living out our values. And those are not easy. Those are not easy at all. But if we can't have tough conversations about our values, if all we're willing to do is pat people on the back when they're caught doing good things, but we're not willing to call people out when they're not doing the things the way we've asked them to do them, then our values don't mean anything. But the great thing, one of the things that we talk to our clients about is we tell them, Your values are going to be the most practical tool in your toolbox when it comes to managing and leading people. They're super practical. Why are they super practical? Because values make tough conversations about something objective, but more than subjective. So a lot of the times, the tough conversations we have, they don't have a lot to do with what the person's doing. They have a lot to do with how the person's doing it we can have a person who is resolving customer disputes, but they're not doing it in a very caring way or they're not doing it in a very truthful way or they're not doing it in a very diligent way. And so we can say, hey, I appreciate you taking care of this issue, but we need to talk about the lack of care that's showing up. Care means we love those we serve. Number one, you weren't, I don't think the customer was feeling a lot of love. And number two, you had this attitude of like the customer was answerable to you, and what we want in that value is an attitude of service where you 're humbling yourself in front of the customer and making it clear that you're there to serve them that they don 't have to prove stuff to you they don't have to provide all the registration information to get the warranty it's not like you got to give them the, they 've got to give you their firstborn to make a claim for something that they 've already paid for so when we talk about Addressing behavior when we can point to a specific value that has a definition, then it helps the other person be a little bit more receptive. Because the last thing any of us wants is to be called out and feel like we're in the right, because you can't point to anything that was objectively wrong with what I did. You're just saying you would have done it different, but you don't know because you weren't in my shoes. Who are you to say that you could have handled it different? You would have probably handled it the same way I would. Who are you to tell me that I was wrong? But when I say, I'm not saying that you were wrong. I'm saying you didn't demonstrate care. I'm not saying I would have done it any different. I'm saying it would have been just as hard for me to live out that value as it was for you, but that is what's expected of both of us. And if I don't live it out and you hear it showing up in my phone conversations with the customers or in my interactions with other people in this company, you have just as much right to call me out because that is universal. It's one of the things that's non-negotiable for anybody that works here. So values can give you this objective benchmark for having very difficult conversations in a way that's a little bit, they're never going to be easy. That's why I call them difficult. But it's going to be easier for the person to receive those hard words than it would be if you can't really put your finger on it, you just don't like it. You just want them to do it different, but you can't tell them how you want it to do it different. Or the way that you tell them how you want it to do it different has more to do with your style, your personal style, than it has to do with an objective value that's on the wall that everybody's going to be held accountable to. And so the last thing, I've already kind of mentioned it, is this idea that values apply up and down the chain of a command. Leaders are accountable too. This is huge when it comes to understanding the kind of culture that you want to create. Because if you have a culture where there are I'm not I'm not I'm not knocking businesses that have special parking spots for owners or whomever. There's good reasons for that. Owners who are in and out in and out in and out all day it's, it's nice for them to have a spot near the door just because it 's way more efficient than having them you know, having our our most valuable employee cruising the parking lot looking for a parking spot so i'm not, i'm not against special parking places for owners, but if special parking places are just one of a litany of perks that the owners get that nobody else is privy to, and the nail in the coffin is we have these values. The nail in the coffin of your culture is that not only do we have perks and other things that only the owners get, we have these values that all of us have to follow, but those owners don't have to follow them. And that is the most toxic culture of all, because everybody's hearing do as I say, not as I do. This is the other reason I go back to if the owner is the one who created the values, then chances are it's not just lip service. This is not easy work. It's not easy to spend four, six, eight hours, especially if you've got us you know, trying to walk you through the process and it's difficult and you're tired and we're, we're trying to get there and we're struggling and go through first draft, a second draft, a third draft. We finally settle on some values. It's unlikely that the owner who's gone through or the leader who's gone through all that work is going to get to a point and be like, yeah, those don't apply to me. Those are just for everybody else. Number one, if we discerned that during the time we were trying to help them come up with it, it we'd have been time out. Like, this isn't you. This is you trying to manipulate everybody else. But that hardly ever happens because if they do that work, they're all in on the values. Which means when you come to them and you say, Joey, um, we were in this meeting and I saw you getting short with the client. I saw you cutting them off. And what I saw in the client was everything but a feeling that they were loved and cared for. And I don't feel like you were serving them very well. And I don't think you were living out our value of care. And I'd be like, ooh, that hurts. That hurts. But at the same time, man, how awesome is it that somebody felt comfortable enough in our culture, not comfortable enough in their relationship with me, but comfortable enough in our culture where they knew that the boss is just as subservient to the values as they are. The standard is the same for both of us. I cannot show up one day and decide the values for me and show up the next day and go, I'm tired or it's been a long week or I'm just ready for whatever. And I'm going to skip the values today and act the way I want to act. So, if your people aren't willing to call you out on values, or if you're not willing to be called out on values, you don't have a culture. You have a culture of fear and intimidation and double standards, so actually you do have a culture, but it's probably not the culture that you want. So, if you want a great culture, and which, I'll say this in closing, there were a series of articles that were written, I believe in the 90s, I might be wrong on this, but uh, I can't remember if it was Harvard Business Review or Forbes Magazine. I think it was one of those two. And they said, uh, culture, eats strategy for breakfast. And that spawned all kinds of, since then, there have been all kinds of articles, blog posts, even books about culture versus strategy. And as somebody who's more of a systems and processes and strategy guy, that, that always chapped me. You know, I'm, I come from a CPA background. Uh, I like numbers. I like data. I like hard edges. I don't like warm fuzzies. Like, are we actually accomplishing anything here? I don't don't kid me to, to think we're all we just it's enough for us to all just get along and have a great culture. Are we actually doing something? We're changing the world in some in some way through our actions. That's what I want to know. And so this idea of culture eat strategy for breakfast, it just like rub me the wrong way. Like baloney. Like that's all. We can hold hands and sing Kumbaya all we want to, but if we're not getting anything done doesn't matter. Let me tell you, after working for the last 15 years with small business owners on strategy and on execution, I can say strategy is a lot of fun. It's fun to stand at the whiteboard. It's fun to imagine the blue sky opportunities that are out there. It's fun to prioritize the biggest issues and opportunities facing us and decide which ones we're going to tackle. And the planning part's fun too. It's fun not to just to do the strategy, but to actually start building the tactics and putting timelines to things and deliverables and, sol- and actually solving the problems and going through workflows. That stuff's fun. But then somebody has to take that workflow, somebody has to take that tactic, and they have to go out there into the real world and they have to use it. They have to change. They have to. They have to keep a score. They have to fill out a form. They have to make sure that they complete a service call the way that they're supposed to, the way that you drew it up on the whiteboard. And if you haven't done the work to create a culture where that's important, where they know their place in the organization and and they're treated, most important, they're treated well up and down the chain of command. They know that people care for them. They want the best for them. This is a place where I can do my best work along people that I really enjoy coming to work with every day. If you haven't done that work on culture, all the planning and all the strategy and all the tactics and all the timelines and all the systems and all the processes, they're not going to make a big difference. Make a little difference, not going to make a big difference. So I'm a believer. I don't believe, I still refuse to say culture eats strategy for breakfast, but I think the two of them have to be present. You can also have a great culture And no leadership or no vision or no execution. Those are the next three things we're going to talk about. And I'm not talking about leadership as in the CEO. I'm talking about leadership as in the people whom the CEO or the, the owner leans on to actually make the business run. If you don't have good leaders in an organization, greatest culture in the world, not going to help you out. If the leader doesn't have a vision and he can't articulate where we want to go, if she can't tell you like what the grand plan is and what we're all striving toward, you can have a great culture, but you're not going to do anything. And if you don't have execution, if people aren't following through, if there's no accountability, you have a great culture, it's not going to make a difference. But there's a reason we're talking about values first, because they are the most fundamental building block of culture. So I hope that my my comments are taken uh, well. I hope that I hope that you want a great culture. I hope that you look forward to creating a set of values that are short and succinct. They're memorable, but more important, I hope that you do it because it's a set of values that you want to be held accountable to as well. Don't be afraid of accountability. Don't be afraid of setting a standard of creating a bar and say, you know, it's okay for you guys to hold me to the same standard. I want it. I want us to all be playing at the same level, and you can call me out, and I want you to. If that's your heart, pull out a blank piece of paper, start working on your values today, and if you need help, give us a call.